Good morning. Welcome to our online service. Our scripture lesson this morning is from Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. I pray as we look into it today and the sacrament of communion, I pray that you'd bless this time, help us to understand more deeply what it is you have done through the sacrifice that you gave. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, over the last two weeks, we've been discussing baptism. The second sacrament that we're going to look at this morning in our foundational triad is communion or the Lord's Supper. The first yearly feast that the Jews celebrate each year is called Passover. And it was instituted by the Lord as a reminder of the great work that he did for his people as he freed them from Egypt. If you remember the story, Israel had been held captive by Egypt for over 400 years. And they were crying out to God, and he heard their cry, and he sent Moses to them to free them. Moses told Pharaoh that they were to let, that he was to let uh, his people go, but he wouldn't do so when God sent ten plagues, uh, the worst of which was the last one, uh, the death of the firstborn. And the Lord told Moses that he wanted the people of Israel to do something very specific. He wanted them to gather outside the doors of their homes and slaughter an unblemished lamb that had been observed for five days to make sure that it was um, healthy and that there was nothing wrong with it. Now, at this point, we would be naturally curious as to why they were slaughtering the lambs outside their homes. Why didn't they just gather together as one people and make one sacrifice before the Lord? Well, a bit of historical context helps us to understand what God was after here. You see, the most uh, common place for people uh, to sacrifice was not in temples, but was rather at their uh, household doors, their thresholds, uh, and they were sacrificing to their household gods. And they desired these gods to protect them from harm. Because they were making a covenantal sacrifice to their gods at the doorpost or the threshold, they would be careful to leap over those thresholds or to skip over them as to not trample the blood underfoot. The Lord Jehovah was telling his people that if they sacrificed to him, he would come into their homes the Hebrew word for come into means to leap into or to skip over. Uh, it could also mean to protect. And so he would then protect them from the angel of death that had been sent out to, to kill all the firstborn sons. We see this fulfilled in Jesus. We see this festival points to the redeeming work that Jesus did as the Lamb of God. Just as the unblemished Lamb was observed for five days before its slaughter at the threshold, so the Jewish leaders observed Jesus as they tested him and taunted him for five days from the time he entered into Jerusalem uh, at the triumphal entry, uh, and then from that time until uh, the Israelites were setting aside that chosen lamb for observation. When the Passover lamb was slain, it was roasted on a crossbar on a fire and eaten by the family. 
Jesus' death on a crossbar was another fulfillment of that picture that the Jews had seen for centuries. In fact, in Jerusalem, as the people were sacrificing for the Passover festival, Jesus was being sacrificed on a cross. It happened on the same day of the year and even the same hour. Isn't it amazing how the Lord coordinated all of this for the Jews to see? It became a witness to the Jewish world, and many were converted uh, converted after Jesus was raised from the dead. Do you see how the Jewish people were rehearsing the coming of Jesus for over 1,500 years? God had given them a yearly ritual that was preparing for the true lamb that would take away their sins because the yearly sacrifice only covered the sins for a short period. As Christians, we now have this kind of reminder each week as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But we must also consider some of the theological ramifications of Christ's fulfillment of the Passover, questions that remain as to the why and how of the sacrificial system that he fulfilled. And so this morning, we're going to ask three questions. The first question we're going to look at this morning is, what is the deal with the sacrificial system? One of the key components of the moral code that's been written on the hearts of mankind is the concept of retribution. Somebody has to pay for damages done. One day I was in a supermarket and I was getting some eggs and as I was pulling into the supermarket, I kind of passed by a spot and I decided to back up. And just as I was backing up, someone turned the corner and came right into my area and I hit their door, a young young lady, 19 years old. And as soon as I hit that door, I thought, this is going to cost me (laughs) because it was my responsibility. I knew that I had not uh, taken care to look behind me as much as I should have. And so I called the insurance company and let them know the details. Now, I wasn't shelling out $100 bills to that girl in the parking lot, that 19-year-old, on that particular day. But over the course of the months and years ahead, my insurance went up. And so um, probably I paid out in the realm of $500 so far uh, for hitting that car. But what if I was hitting them and somebody became paralyzed? How much money would that be worth? Or what if I killed them? How much is a human life worth? Even though I've never gone so far as to ram somebody's uh, car while road raging, in a moment of anger I have probably wanted to, and perhaps if the truth were told, even hurt them a little bit in the process. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now the details of how and why the heart is desperately wicked is probably the subject for a future sermon. But let's just recognize for now that that is the case. We look around the world and we see it as it is, and we don't have to venture very far to see that it's pretty messed up. And the greatest problem with the world is human sin. When we go back to the origin of sin, the Garden of Eden, we see something very interesting that happens within the first generation of Adam and Eve. Listen to a portion of the account of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. 
And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. And so my first question about this text is, how did Cain and Abel know to bring sacrifices like this to the Lord? I think we have a little bit of help and a clue in the previous chapter here. Immediately after Adam and Eve are caught in transgressions, one of the first things that God does is to replace the leaves that they had fashioned as covering, and they covered, uh, she, he covered them with the skins of animal that he, an animal that he kills. And by the way, as far as we know, that animal is the very first death in history. Right from the beginning, God made it his business to cover our shame and guilt with the blood of an innocent animal being shed. And as we move forward through the Old Testament, we see that the sacrificial system was also a part of the life of Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Moses led the people out of slavery, God's desire was to set up a sacrificial system for the people that he had chosen to follow him. And this system was very detailed. And if, in short, the people were to follow that system, they would experience a short-term covering of their shame, a reprieve from their guilt. The second question that we need to address this morning is, how did Jesus fulfill the requirements of that system? Well, the problem with the sacrificial system in the Old Testament is that it had no permanence. This is made clear for us in Hebrews 4, 1 through 4. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered uh, every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so, the curse was not removed from the people through that old sacrificial system. And so God sent us the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. I want you to notice three things about Jesus that made it possible for him to fulfill the requirements set forth by God for full retribution of our sins. First, he needed to be like those he was saving. Galatians 4, 4-5 gives an account of God's plan to fulfill this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that they, he might receive them as adoption of sons. And so animals could not save us because they were not born under the law and they're not like us. They have no possibility of sin because they are creatures of instinct. And so in a miraculous display of love and humility, God became a human baby. Secondly, he needed to be without blemish. We see this in 1 Peter 1, 18-19, which says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In fact, in the Old Testament system of sacrifice, the priests had to make a sacrifice for themselves 
before they went in and made a sacrifice for the people. And this was to prevent God from killing them while they were going about their jobs. But Jesus is able to save us from guilt because he had no guilt. If one murderer stands up in court and says that he'll take the punishment for his accomplice, uh, there is no way. It doesn't work. He's already guilty and has nothing to offer the court. This is why Jesus needed to be born of a virgin. This disassociated him with the line of sin that was passed down from Adam. Third, we see that he needed to die on a cross. Galatians 3.13 declares, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Notice the time in history of his death. He's executed under the Roman Empire, and their main way of carrying out the death penalty was crucifixion, killing people on a crossbar. For the Jews, it was stoning. And actually, even under the Romans, the Jews at times stoned people. Stephen was stoned, and they were about to stone a woman that was caught in adultery before Jesus intervened. But the Holy Spirit caused the Jewish leaders to turn Jesus over to the Romans in order that he might become a curse for us by the kind of death that he died. The third question here this morning is, if Jesus paid our debt, why isn't he in hell? This final question is not one that comes up very often among those who are raised in the church, but it's very common for those who come to Christ much later in life. If someone takes the place of another who's going to prison, for instance, then they have to carry out that sentence. But in the case of Jesus, he does not suffer torment in hell for eternity, but rather he's raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father, which is the highest position to attain. Everything becomes clear, though, when we realize what exactly Jesus was here to save us from. His main purpose is to not save us from hell, but rather because hell is just the consequences of another more challenging problem, which is death. Jesus came to destroy death, and the way that he did it was to rise from the dead himself. Some people were challenging this teaching about being raised from the dead and said that Jesus had not been raised from the dead. Paul rebukes them by saying, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And so, because the Lamb of God was broken and poured out for you, for those who have been placing his trust in him, you will not experience death. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Scott. Sheila Faber was a great Christian woman and she just died a few months ago. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the second death. Listen to a part of John's letter to the church in Smyrna. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And how do you conquer, we might ask? They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Somebody's got to pay for the damages. So many think that they can pay for their sins by doing good works. But as one evangelist said, that's like throwing a rock to the North Pole from the parking lot out front. Some get closer than others, but we are still an impossible distance away. Only one person in human history could pay for the sins of mankind and make a way for us to live in God's perfect paradise forever. 
It was our Lord and precious Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Heaven who became the sacrificial Passover lamb in order to save his chosen people from the angel of death. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And as we celebrate that in the Lord's Supper, and we see that blood poured out for us, that body that was broken, Lord, help us to remember and to uh, appreciate what it is you've done for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.